Jesus, we thank you for this space to gather. Help us to be aware of your presence. God, help us to slow down. To know what you have for us to know, to see what you have for us to see. To find you, to find ourselves here this morning. We love you, God. Amen. Well, I went to a wedding when I was a young woman, um, and the bride of this wedding was from the um, Spanish seaside, and the groom was a friend of Tom and mine in Chicago. So the bride was leaving her country to moved to Chicago um, and be a part of our community there. And the wedding and the ceremony was beautiful, but there was a poignant moment during the ceremony that appeared to be unplanned, where the bride pivots directly facing the groom, her eyes mist with tears, and she begins to quote, quote from the Book of Ruth, saying, Mark, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So knowing all that this young woman was giving up. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. We were all caught up in the emotion of it. But here's the thing. While her sentiment was super genuine, her reference was way more complicated than any of us could have hoped to understand at that time in our lives. So I have preached from the book of Ruth many times over the years. I've heard other preachers preach from the Book of Ruth, um, often as an example of genuine intimacy, of sacrificial love um, between uh, two humans. What I'd like to do this morning is to posit that the context in which our relationships sit is way more complicated than we can ever fully hope to understand, but it's worth a try. So let me just say that again. The context that our relationships sit in is way more complicated than we can ever hope to fully understand, but it's worth a try. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a short summary of the book of Ruth, then look a little bit at the context that the book itself is sitting in. Then, and this is what I'm really excited about this morning, We'll hear four different um, interpretive voices around the scripture that are from different racial and ethnic perspectives, and then see what our invitation might be for us this morning. So the story goes like this. Uh, Naomi and her husband, Eli Melech, um, and their two sons leave Judah Um, because there's a severe famine in the land, so they go to Moab, so to find food. 
Um, and sometime while they're there, Eli Melek, the husband, dies, and the two sons, their two boys, marry two Moabite women. Um, and after a period of time, those two boys die, leaving Ruth and her two daughter-in-laws, or Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, destitute, destitute, right? So a woman in the ancient world has no resource to the extent that I am secure in life, in terms of resources, is the male I'm connected with, right? Um, my husband or my father, a family member. Um, so these women are destitute, and Naomi, so she's brokenhearted, she's without resource, and she says to her daughter-in-laws, listen, you have to go back to your families. Like, I get that we love each other. You can't stay with me. And then she makes this kind of preposterous statement to make a point, and, but it's revealing to us. She says, because what are you gonna do? Let's say that I meet somebody and I get pregnant tomorrow. Are you gonna wait all the years till, assuming I have a boy, a male child, that boy grows up and can provide for you? So it gives us both a window into the ancient world and into their plight. And so they're weeping together and Orpah says, um, okay. Um, she kisses Naomi goodbye and she goes back to her family. Um, but Ruth, out of what appears to be this devotion to her mother-in-law stays and that's when she utters her words, where you go, I will go and where you stay, I will stay and your people will be my people. And then the rest of that story describes these two women, Ruth and Naomi's, strategizing and sometimes conniving because that's what was necessary in the ancient world to legitimate themselves in a male world um, to secure resource. And through Ruth's sacrifice and through her devotion, the family line is not only saved, but Ruth becomes the great grandmother of Israel's great king, David, and Matthew later places Ruth in Jesus' line, in the lineage of Jesus, which is a big deal. So we're going to look at a little bit of the context of that story. So although the book of Ruth takes place in the time of Judges, so for those of you who are familiar with the narrative arc of the um, Old Testament, um, before kings... There were judges, and that's when the book of Ruth takes place, during the time of Judges, it says. But it was written many years later during um, a period of, anti, of rising anti-foreigner nationalism in the land of Judah. So in other words, it was not a good time to be an immigrant in Judah. So this is a quote from the book of Ezra. Ezra was written... Um, uh, scholars think around the same time that Ruth was. So this gives you a little bit of the, the religious feel. Um, the leaders came to me, Ezra speaking, and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring people with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Jebusites, the Amamites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. 
they have taken some of them, of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the people around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. Okay, so you can see that embedded in their understanding of faithfulness is this idea of religious or ethnic purity. And there's lots of plausible reasons at this time for why that would be important. This is a post-exilic period, so uh, the people had been in ex exile for some time. They had lost a lot of people while they're in exile. Um, uh, the divisions, the, the sort of sense of tribalism can't be maintained, and so they're concerned um, for the fate of their people. Um, but more importantly, this kind of tribalism that we see here, or boundary thinking, right, is an impulse that's universal to every human group that's ever existed, and we see it all the time today. So what we have here is the story of Ruth, who's an immigrant in the line of Jesus that seemingly goes against the commands of God. So one of the things to remember as we read the Bible is that the Bible is written by lots of different authors with lots of different message, sometimes arguing with each other for which I'm grateful, um, or at least exposing tensions. And when a book of the Bible is written, if you think of it this way, they're written in, writing it in their day for the purpose of spiritual formation for the people they're writing it to. So they have particular audience in mind, and they have a particular uh, message that will be helpful for that particular uh, group. So one way that's helpful for me to understand this is I was born 11 years after the Holocaust. So I talk about this a bit. But what the Holocaust meant to my family and to Jewish people is that two-thirds of Jewry around the world, so not just in Europe, but two-thirds of Jewish people um, were killed. So that is a real threat to the future of Judaism. And I'm born 11 years of, uh, um, after this, and I was reminded daily as a kid, honey, marry someone Jewish. Now, clearly I failed the one thing that my <laughs> parents asked me to do every day of my life. Um, but my parents were not intending to express an anti-Gentile sentiment. I mean, maybe there was some of that in there. Maybe there had to be, but what they were responding to was something real. They lived through the Holocaust, albeit in America with their ears to the radio every day while their people are being slaughtered, and they're concerned for me. They're concerned for their kids and the anti-Semitism um, in our country at that time, and they're concerned for the um, future um, of their religion. So a second thing to understand is that in the beginning of the book, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, and her husband and their two sons um, leave Bethlehem, it says, and go to Moab because there's famine in the land. If I hear the word Moab or Moabite, if we hear that, it kind of doesn't mean that much. Like, it's like, okay, so 
we leave the U.S. and go to Canada. Like, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to think, but in the Hebrew telling of the story of the Moabites, they are a product of incest. So if you think back to the story of Lot, Abraham's uh, cousin, Lot and his two daughters end up in a cave, and there's some confusion about how the world is going to continue to be fruitful and multiply, and Moab happens. And it besmirches them, Moabites unredeemably in the eyes of Israel from the word go. Now, we know that not every person in Judah hates every Moabite. And we know that not every Moabite person hates every person in Judah, Judah because we have this marriage, because we have the thing that they're writing about, that Ezra's writing about. There is all this intermarriage and interrelating. But this is the context that the story's written in. Segregation, specifically targeting the Moabites, is codified in the Mosaic Law. So just to make that abundantly clear, it is a big deal to leave Judah and to go to Moab, even if there's a famine in the land. And it's a big deal for two Hebrew boys to marry to marry Moabite women, and it is a big deal for Ruth to emigrate um, to Judah because all of this has consequence. So Tom spoke a couple weeks ago about God's grand plan for inclusion, and that is what Matthew is communicating when he includes Ruth um, in Jesus' lineage, it's yet one more way of God saying to us that there is no Gentile or Jew. There is no gay or straight. There is no black or white. We are all made in the glorious image of God. So we come back to our original statement. Don't urge me, Naomi, to leave you or turn back from you because where you go, I'll go, and where you stay, I'll stay, and your people will be my people, and your God my God, and where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So what we're going to do right now is to listen to four different scholars four different theologians who are ethnically and racially diverse um, say briefly what they each hear from this um, same statement. Um, I remember doing a Bible study with a woman who was used to doing Bible studies with people all over the world. And she would always say her best Bible studies were with people in countries where the people were so different because you're looking at the same scripture and you realize you're seeing something completely different. God is saying something and revealing something completely different about yourself, about God. So the first one is um, what I would call a traditional interpretation. It's a commentary um, from, a, from what I would call the Christian establishment. Um, and it says this, rather than heed Naomi's advice, Ruth begged Naomi to allow her to emigrate to Judah. 
Ruth's statement of fidelity is touching. These beautiful words of commitment, which are sometimes included in wedding vows, show the deep loyalty that Ruth had for Naomi. The story of Ruth and Naomi shows what true loyalty is like. In addition to loyalty, Ruth exhibited respect, love, friendship, humility. I think that's pretty much how I've read the story over the years. The second one is from um, a feminist theologian whose name is Phyllis Tribble. She wrote a book that I love um, called Texts of Terror, looking at some of the stories of women in the Old Testament. Um, I actually, when I was in seminary, I was so taken with her book that I um, sent her an email, somehow found out her email, and when I got this long handwritten letter back that I totally treasured, she told me that she didn't use computers, so I imagine her writing every word um, of her book. But here is what she's saying from a feminist um, theologian who loves God. A man's world tells a woman's story, which thus hides the degree to which their pitiful plight is due to patriarchy. They are unempowered women struggling for survival against the tide of male privilege. They bear their own burdens. They're forced to endure hardship and danger, insecurity and death. No father God promises them blessing, no man rushes to their rescue, but they themselves risk bold decisions and shocking acts of betrayal and commitment to work out their own salvation in the midst of the alien, the hostile, and the unknown. All of which we have to figure out because after all, it's men telling the story. Okay, it's a feminist read. You guys know what a womanist is, uh, African-American feminist. So our third read is from Professor Yolanda Norton. She's an African-American theologian. Um, was at Berkeley, I don't know if she still is. Um, and she approaches the book of Ruth from a womanist perspective. So in other words, she's asking, how does this speak to me as a black woman? And she describes what she uh, experiences as the assimilationist impulse. And she says it reflects her experience in mostly white churches. She says, in order to be accepted, this is a quote, in ancient Israel, Ruth has to reject her own people and her culture and her ancestors. Once she pledges herself to Naomi, Ruth never again mentions her people, her God. Ruth has been absorbed completely into her new culture at the expense of her own ethnic heritage. And finally, we have um, the fourth one is a woman, professor, scholar, theologian, Gail Yi, and she's an American scholar of Chinese descent. So she describes the experience of always having to answer the question, um, where are you from? And she says the same thing every time, I'm from Chicago. And every time she gets the same question, no, I mean, where are you from? 
And she says, I get this despite being a third generation American who grew up in Chicago. And she says that resonates to her with Ruth's experience of coming to Israel. This is a quote. She says, despite having left her own people to swear loyalty to her new land, Ruth is never fully accepted by the Israelites as part of their culture, often being referred to when living in Israel as Ruth the Moabite. She will never be just Ruth. So we have a traditional interpretation, a lovely moment between two women. We have a feminist interpretation where our story is situated in patriarchy with endless challenge. We have a womanist interpretation where Ruth has to undergo some kind of assimilation to be accepted. And we have a Chinese-American interpretation that Ruth will never be known as just Ruth. In other words, it's not just Naomi and Ruth. They're women in the ancient world. Ruth is a Moabite, and that means something. Naomi is a Jewess, and that means something. They exist in their context, and that informs and forms their relating. And as we, as you and I, engage with the biblical text, we always do it from our context, our commitments, our priorities, our values. So a couple of things to consider, or what God might be inviting us to think about in this story. One is, I think this story invites us to become a student of our context. So I marry Tom. Tom comes from a Dutch family with a reform theology. I come from a traditional Jewish kosher-keeping family. My parents loved Tom um, and treated him like a son from day one. But they also lived during the Holocaust. And my parents' parents, so both sets of grandparents, um, were Russian Jews. So if any of you have seen Fiddler on the Roof, you can think Fiddler on the Roof. They, both sets of my grandparents, escaped the pogroms um, to be here, to be in America. So I can't go back in my lineage. Someone in the church tried to help me do this with Ancestry.com. Of course, I could do uh, more with DNA. But I can't go back because there's a hard stop in the late 1800s because in the village that my grandparents would have come from, you either fled, you either escaped, or you were killed. So that's where it stops. It would take Tom and actually myself, it would take me too, time to understand my family, my fears, my beliefs, how that all shaped me. It would take me time to understand Tom's family, how it shaped Tom. But all of us are shaped in context even as we emerge and evolve. So the first thing we'd be invited to do is to understand our context. Number two is we ask what any relationship we're in, we ask, what is this giving me? 
and what is it asking me to give up? So according to Professor Norton, Ruth is giving up a lot in order to be accepted um, by the people of Judah. In a more traditional read, Ruth is choosing this out of an act of love and maybe both of those sit very fine together. The invitation is for us to understand our realities. Like we check in with ourselves over time. Am I glad for what I'm giving up in this relationship? Am I giving up anything that's like essentially me that I don't want to be giving up? And it seems like there's always a tug of war in our closer relationship of who's giving up what and who's getting what. And of course, there is no formula, but there is an invitation to be aware and ready to adapt or to explore what I call the space between us over time as we change. Um, and finally, number three, when we read the scriptures, read them in community, or if you read them on their own, look what other voices have to say, look how people are interpreting that are so different from yourself. It not only makes the scripture come alive, but it reveals us to ourselves. So I'll close with this. Um, I've come to believe, like over these um, last few years, that openness to many voices, like that thing that saves us. It is the only way for us to engage with these stories and with God and with each other. And the reason that not just the story itself, but this way of engaging with the Book of Ruth could be helpful to each of us in this room is because no one in this room is any less complex than Ruth or Naomi or any other person in the Bible story. We are all shaped by our context, by, our, by forces, truths, events that are way too numerous for us to count. There is no one narrative of me, no dominant or prevailing narrative that could explain the totality of who I am or of who you are. So if we can let go of that hope of arriving at some end of a way of explaining me or of explaining you or of explaining God to each other, then we are free to launch together into an incredible journey of exploration, of listening, of telling, of learning, of seeing, of perceiving, of humility, of expansion. This is God's invitation to us to see and to be seen by God and by each other. So before we move to communion, I'm going to read the scripture one more time and take a moment and see where you fall um, in the reading of the scripture. Um, in other words... Do you read it as a traditional reading? Do you hear it that way? Do you hear it um, as one of the other ways that I described it? Do you hear it somehow differently because of your context? And what might God be saying to you? Okay, I don't know if I'm going to find it, but I do know it by heart. Okay. So God, help us open our hearts. So many times we approach the Bible 
as like how we've always heard it or how we've always been taught or what we think it's supposed to say and we want to do it the quote-unquote right way. God, the book is amazing. The Bible is amazing and it's rich. Open our hearts to hear how you would speak to us. Reveal us to us. Reveal God to us. Naomi, or Ruth says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Let's take a moment of silence. Amen.